Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a lesson on the parable of the minas. The servants had a mina. They all had an equal mina. Every one of them had the same opportunity. And our opportunities aren't minas necessarily. They are God's providences, God's provisions, God's resources. All of these are things that God expects us to use to bring Him glory, to invest as much as we can in the kingdom of God. God gives different people different abilities and opportunities, but His expectation for each of them remains the same, to use them for His purposes. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor and Bible Teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Today, Pastor Steve explains that believers are entrusted with God's gifts and resources, emphasizing the importance of using them wisely. It's the start of a new series called Living a Generous Life, and you can listen online at thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve with a message titled, Steward Everything. Bethel Church, I love you, okay? I love you. I really do. And I am so privileged to serve here, uh, to be an elder and a pastor, and to open God's Word today. And I just want you to know that one of my heart's desires is that, um, that I, would, I would be the kind of pastor that when you're dead, I'm, you're glad that I was your pastor, Okay? That when you're dead, you're glad Steve DeWitt was your pastor because I prepared you for eternity, which leads to one of my primary motives in my message here this morning is that we would prepare ourselves for rewards from God someday. So more and better, okay? Why should we press on with, for more and better, at Bethel Church? Well, because the alternative to more and better is summarized by a popular candy that I have a box for of right here. Anybody Good and Plenty fans? Okay, some of you like Good and Plenty, okay? You recognize the, the look of, uh, of Good and Plenty? So Good and Plenty, interesting name, right? It's good and it's plenty. That's a high claim for a piece of candy, isn't it? Often with candy, you think, no, it's, it's not plenty. I need more, right? Good and plenty. A devastating vision for somebody's life and certainly for a church. More and better versus good and plenty. What is the good and plenty approach? The good and plenty approach is this. We're good. We, we've done plenty. We got Plenty. We're good. Let's just play it safe. Let's take it easy. Let's not risk anything. Let's not try something. Let's sort of hold to our games. Let's carve in stone our style of ministry and refuse to change anything. Let's not attempt anything. Let's not step out of the box in some way. Let's not jeopardize anything. Why? Because we're good. We got plenty. Is there a spirit of good and plenty perhaps evident in your life, especially if you've walked with Jesus for very long, where you sort of, I've served him good enough. I've served him plenty. I've invested enough time, 
and energy and money and whatever. I'm good. I've done plenty. Or are you ready for more? Are you ready for better? And these two basic approaches to life and ministry are displayed in a parable that Jesus told that is called the parable of the minas in Luke 19. My turn there. Luke 19, the parable of the, of the minas. Now, before I get into the parable itself, what is a parable? Well, a parable is a teaching device that Jesus oftentimes used, and even the word itself helps explain it. It's two, two Greek words together, para, which means alongside, balo, which means to cast, okay? So parabalo, parable, is to cast something alongside something else. And in a parable, what Jesus does is he embeds a spiritual truth into a very common sort of story. Our parable today is situated between two beloved moments in the Bible. If you look at uh, Luke 19, you'll notice the beginning of Luke 19 is the famous story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And if you recall, Zacchaeus, he, he was a wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And children love that story. I have told that story untold times at bedtime. So Zacchaeus, very loved story. He ends that by saying, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now Jesus is in Jericho, that's where Zacchaeus lived. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And that's the other side of this, is that he goes to Jerusalem, and we have, you'll notice, uh, beginning in verse 28, the triumphal entry. Okay? So on one side, you've got Zacchaeus. On the other side, you've got Palm Sunday, two very famous moments. And in between those two, you have this parable of the Minas. So let me begin reading now, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Now notice the repetition here. Okay, There's two becauses. Because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, if we're interpreting this, when you see repetition, that's always like a little tip-off in Bible interpretation. Notice the repetitions. And so there, Luke gives two reasons that Jesus tells the parable. The first is his geography. He is close to Jerusalem. And because he's close to Jerusalem, there was a heightened sense of excitement that maybe something big was going to happen. We find the disciples are beginning to argue already which of them are going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And so there was this sense that something big was about to happen. Jesus is on his way to the capital city. The other aspect of this, the other because, is because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. The disciples who were there thought the kingdom is almost at hand. Here we go. Here's the exciting moment that we've been waiting for. Now, why is that a potential problem? Well, what do people do when they think that the world is about to end? They oftentimes will sell their possessions, they go to Colorado to a mountaintop, they find a cabin, and they wait for the end to arrive. And of course, when it doesn't happen, they're shown to be quite foolish, 
And that's kind of the problem, is that when you think that the end is almost here, the temptation is to kind of like take it easy and to sort of like do nothing, right? Hey, what's the point, right? This is almost done anyway. Let's just sort of chill. And so Jesus, knowing human nature is to do that, and knowing that they were thinking the kingdom was about to happen, tells them a parable to readjust their understanding of what's going to happen in the future. Look at verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, right here, there's some interesting things. He's in Jericho, and Jericho had a most famous resident, citizen of Jericho, whose name was Archelaus. Archelaus was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king who tried to kill Jesus when he was born. Well, Herod the Great dies. Archelaus becomes, you know, in his place, has a certain level of authority. You might remember Joseph, when they're coming back from Egypt, hears that Archelaus is in power and is afraid and goes to Nazareth. Okay, That's this dude that I'm talking about. So Archelaus, his dad died, Archelaus wants to be king. But to be king, or like a kind of a vice king in the Roman Empire, you had to go to Rome and have the Caesar say, you're the king. So Archelaus goes in, this is in the year 4 AD, he goes to Rome hoping to receive the title of king. It's a long trip, matters of business have to be handled in his absence, And so verse 13, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Okay, a mina. You're probably not familiar with a mina. A mina was a monetary value coin that was worth approximately, for a common laborer, approximately three months wages. Okay, so... That's what we're talking about. A mina, this is much less valuable than the sister parable to this parable, which is the parable of the talents, because a talent was worth like 20 years' salary, huge number, but mina's much less. And maybe there's even a little point in that as well by the Holy Spirit, that it doesn't matter if you have a mina or a talent, a little or a lot, we all have the same responsibility to do with what God grants to us So the nobleman gives each servant one mina, and he gives them a command. Use the mina and engage in business until I return. Now, that's all he said. He doesn't say, I want you to engage in this kind of business. I want you to go and I want you to do this. He just says, hey, you are stewarding this one mina. I want you to make the most of it until I return. Notice that everyone has the same mina. Everyone has the same opportunity. Everybody has the same command. Now notice verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now here Jesus is drawing also on the legend of Archelaus because Archelaus went to Rome to be king. The Jews did not want Archelaus to be king and they sent a delegation to Rome to complain about him and to keep it from happening. By the way, Archelaus when he, uh, which he actually was not made king, king. They gave him a slightly less prestigious title. When he returned, he wasn't happy. He killed 3,000 Jews. All right, so go on with the story here. Verse 15, when he returned, this is now the nobleman who has been made king, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him. 
that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Okay, so he returns now. He's not the nobleman. Now he's king. The nobleman had limited powers. He comes back as king with the kingdom, empowered to do jolly well whatever he wanted to do. And he calls these servants in now to give an account for what they did with the mina that he had given them. Verse 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. So we see here a dramatic turn of fortune. How much is a mina worth? Common laborer, three months value. How much is a city worth? That's a little harder to determine. Or what is the prestige and the value of governing over a city? An incredible value, right? And so the first guy takes the mina, and we don't know how he did it, but he turned that one mina into 10 more, actually 11 mina total. That's a 1,000% return on investment. How many of you like this guy managing your 401k? Okay. I sign this guy up, please. I give you everything I have, please multiply this. This guy was really good. Well done, good servant. What was good about this servant? He used the interim time to maximize the profit for the nobleman now king. Okay, get that? Why was he good? He used the time and the mina to produce profit for the king. He worked hard. He invested wisely. He stewarded that mina, and he increased the value for the king. And then you see the generosity of the king, and don't miss this. He doesn't say, well, hey, that's great. Just put it over here and be on your way. No, he says, you have been faithful in a little. A mina, comparatively speaking, is a little. And based on your faithfulness in the little that I have given you, I now am going to give you much. He gets 10 cities. He's like his own little demi-king over, over 10 cities. The generosity of the king. The second follows the same pattern. You notice that. His is a 500% return. Okay, that's still pretty <laughs> impressive. He turns the one into, into six, and he gets five cities, okay? Again, this seems very out of proportion. Like, really? A mina? equals a city, that's the generosity of the king. He is generous to his people. So we come now to the third guy, okay? And the third guy is probably, he's a little nervous, but he's thinking to himself, hey, this is going really well for these guys. I think maybe it's gonna work out okay for me. And notice, uh, notice this part of the story, verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. Notice that, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at coming, I might have collected it with interest. 
Now, listen, here is the power of the parable. The power of the parable is that the king has expectations for his servants. The king has expectations. Real, severe expectations for the performance and the investment and the productivity of his servants. And the final servant here discovers that he was incredibly unwise to take the mina and do nothing with it. He hid it in a handkerchief. Now that doesn't seem very safe to me. Maybe sort of that hiding it in plain view. What's the bump in the handkerchief over there, uh, Lucy? Nothing. It's the mina that the king gave me. Okay. Notice that the handkerchief approach is the do-nothing approach. It is the play-it-safe approach. It always seems safest to do nothing, doesn't it? And notice that doing nothing is a terrible idea when your king expects productivity. The least safe thing to do is to do nothing if the king is coming back and going to expect you to have done something. And notice the king here, he expects results. And he points out, hey, listen, just like the no-brainer approach here, forget the 10 guy and the 5 guy. If you just wanted to be like not the dumbest guy in the room, take the mina to the bank and just get some interest out of it. Now, you say, wait a second, I thought the Jews couldn't lend. Well, they couldn't lend to another Jew, but they could lend to Gentiles, and they would do that. Why not simply at least get a little bit of return by taking it to the bank? Now, I'm thinking this servant right now is going, ooh, this isn't going so well. But at least I know in the end I get a city because the 10 mina guy got 10 cities and the 5 mina guy got 5 cities. So after this dressing down, at least I know I get to have like a city because I still got the mina. It sort of makes sense, right? Well, here now is the, the dramatic turn, verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. Okay, sounds like some modern day politics right now, right? Wait a second, you're taking from the poor and you're giving it to the rich. He already has 10 minas. And Jesus adds the comment now, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's a dark turn in the story, isn't it? And by the way, who does it sound like? It sounds a little bit like what Archelaus did when he came back, right? The story is intended to convey a seriousness here. If Jesus tells a story where in the end, everybody that's against him is slaughtered in his presence, okay, this is not a humorous story. This is not intended for you to go, oh, well, that's kind of funny. This is a serious word from the Son of God, and it is a warning. It is a warning to his servants about his expectations upon us regarding what we do with the mina that God gives to us, that Jesus has given to us, the king expects results. Now, I've hinted at it a little bit, but let's draw the analogy, OK? 
okay? Let's make sure we understand who's who in the story. So who's the king? Here's the cast of characters right here. Who's the king? The king is Jesus, okay? The king is Jesus. Who are the servants? Us, disciples of Jesus, okay? If you're looking for yourself in the story, you're not the nobleman, you're not the king, you're not the mina. You are the servant, okay? You're the servant. And what is the mina? The mina is the responsibility that we have to steward whatever God has given to us, okay? Which is everything. I'll get back to that in a moment. But in terms of the narrative of history, this graph draws the analogy here of what Jesus is saying, okay? You'll notice the nobleman leaves. What's that referring to? Jesus' ascension. The disciples, hey, we're by Jerusalem. This is the end. The end is here. It's almost done. Jesus is like, no, no. There's a long interim time here. Between Jesus' ascension and in the story when the king returns, which is when Jesus returns, And in that in-between, the nobleman expected minor multiplication. But Jesus' great commission to us is he wants disciple multiplication and maturity. That's the call that we have. So the servant who is supposed to give himself to make the most with the mina is like the servants of Jesus who are giving themselves to multiply disciples, to mature disciples, and to, to, to have something to give to Jesus when he returns. And you're saying to yourself, but wait a second, come on, we're all like, uh, we're, there's no judgment, we're all free from that. Wrong. And I've talked about this over the years often. We all are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we are going to give an account for our life and we're going to give an account For everything, every mina that Jesus gave to us, we will give an account for it. And that means you, my dear friend. You say, wait a second, I don't have any minas. I'm not sure what you're talking about. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. What do you have in your life? That's 1 Corinthians 4.7. What do you have that you did not receive? If you've received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Think of all of the blessings that in this room we experience, that we have the resources, the people that have invested in us, the opportunities, time, relationships, all of these things that we so easily take for granted, do we realize from Jesus' perspective, now is the time for productivity. Now is the time for the church to give itself with intention to multiply disciples. A good reminder to redeem the time because the days are evil, as Ephesians 5.16 says. You're listening to The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt in the first part of a message titled, Steward Everything. If you'd like to hear it again, replay it online at thejourney.fm. Or if you want an even more convenient way to listen, subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite podcast app, such as Apple or Spotify, for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Well, here on The Journey, we believe in the power of the gospel to guide us through the journey of life. And that's why each day we broadcast God's word to listeners around the world. But as a listener-supported ministry, we couldn't do it without you. When you give to this ministry, you help keep this Bible teaching program on the air, offering guidance, wisdom, and hope to those facing challenges. So would you give today? Your partnership will allow us to multiply our efforts in reaching souls for Christ. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. 
That's 844-756-8763. Or make a donation online at thejourney.fm. And as a thank you for your gift in November, we'd like to send you Randy Elkhorn's timely book on generosity. It's titled The Treasure Principle. In this book, readers are moved from the realms of thoughtful Bible exposition into the highly personal and practical arena of everyday life. Discover how joyful giving brings God maximum glory and His children maximum pleasure. Request your copy today. Call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. While you're on our website, you'll also find helpful articles on a variety of topics, such as faith, family, stewardship, and so much more. If you'd like to connect with us, then be sure to send us an email or follow our Facebook page. You'll find the links at the top of our homepage at thejourney.fm. Well, that's all our time for today. I'm Tim Svoboda. Come back tomorrow when Steve DeWitt continues today's lesson titled Steward Everything. That's Tuesday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.